Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. If you have a Bible, would you open up with me to Mark chapter 3? We're going to read verses 31 to 35 in just a minute. Uh, but th- this is, uh, if this is your first Sunday here, I will catch you up. Or if you've uh, not been around uh, yet much in January. This January, we started studying through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. But we're going to not just like go right through the book. What we're doing is we're, we've picked out uh, probably like four or five different themes that we're going to study over the next uh, several months. So we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Mark. But the first theme that we're talking about is, is follow me. How Jesus invites us to follow him as disciples. And so we've been looking this month at what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And if you remember week one, uh, Omar Nieblas was here, and and he talked about how uh, to start this journey of discipleship, it requires these moments uh, where we realize that something in our life isn't adding up to what Jesus is calling us to, and he's calling us and inviting us into something new. And there's this moment where we repent, which means we turn 180 degrees in the opposite direction, and then we believe, which in in the biblical sense means that we are, uh, it's not just a thinking belief, it's we are actively acting in a new way. And so that's the, the, the basis for everyone following Jesus is there's constant invitation from Jesus and new things in our lives to, wow, I, I need to make a change in this place in my life. And I turn and I move toward Jesus. And then the second week, we talked about the nuts and bolts of being a disciple, that we are with Jesus, we become like Jesus, and we do what Jesus does. Uh, and then we, we have talked about, um, I'm, I'm now I'm forgetting everything we talked about because it's been a lot now. Um, Anyway, those are the two big ones that I want to keep as the foundation because those are important as we get into this week. So we've been talking about a lot of things, and this week I want to talk about discipleship as being a part of a new family, a new family. I think I advanced that at the same time as you or something. We'll leave it there for now. Uh, Are you familiar with the phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? Or, oh man, he's a chip off the old block right? Uh, I I find myself uh, getting the meaning of these in a new way. I think when you're like a little kid, you kind of see things with your parents. Oh my gosh, my daughters right now, they do things that kind of scare Jillian and I. They're like, they're doing things exactly like I did when I was a little kid. But then there's like this, this other season of life, I think, where we're trying to do everything we can to not be like our parents, right? And then, but now I'm in this season as I'm getting a little bit older where I'm finding, oh my gosh, my dad used to say that. Or, or, oh, that sounds just like my mom. You know what I'm talking about? We have these things that are just innate in us that come from the families we grew up in. Or maybe like, oh, when you, I've had my mom say before, that's something your cousin always does. Or your uncle did the same thing when he was at your age. Uh, It's just one of those things we find in family. There's something familiar about it. And we pick up these things, right? And most of them are, are fairly innocuous, but I, I just find myself doing and saying things in different ways, just like my biological family or the family that I grew up in. Uh, and when we become followers of Jesus in a similar way, we're invited to do things just like our Heavenly Father. We're invited into a new family to be part of His family, and, and, and we can in some ways become a chip off the old block. Or not let the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree in terms of being connected to our heavenly father and doing things the way he does. And the Bible describes this and Jesus specifically describes this as doing the will of the father. When you're a chip off the old block of your heavenly father, there are things in your life that you're doing that look like him. They, they resemble his will and his way of, of doing things in the world. Now, here's the problem though. I find myself, even as a Christian, making uh, not only the, making the same statements or comments that my father made or my mom made or my uncle made, sometimes I find myself making the same mistakes that they made. Do you find yourself making similar mistakes? The, the wise in the room, the wiser ones in the room are nodding their heads. They know. Uh, my marriage, I've noticed, sometimes will have similar issues. It's unique to me and Jillian, but I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, 
I, I, this resembles something I'm kind of familiar with. Or, or maybe an issue we have making friends, getting close to people. Or, or maybe we don't talk about our feelings. Or I have similar financial fears in the way my parents did. There's all sorts of different other patterns that we pick up. Um, perhaps one of the, the most obvious and painful is, is how a divorce tends to perpetuate from one generation to another quite often. And, and, and sometimes I, I think that we, we make the mistake of thinking, hey, I, all of these things, I don't have to worry about that because my parents were Christians. I'm following Jesus now. Or maybe like, yeah, my Christians were like, my, my parents were kind of Christians, but like, I'm really like serious about following Jesus. So that stuff's taken care of. But the reality is that the divorce rate is the same inside the church as outside the church. Did you know that? The reality is addiction, rates of addiction are very similar inside and outside of the church. Uh, the, the question of, of pornography and the issue of pornography, it's viewed at nearly the same rate by people who attend church and call themselves Christians as those outside the church. And about 50% of pastors, by the way. Part of the problem, I know, it's shocking, right? Part of the problem I'd like to suggest to us is that when we come to Jesus, we come to him and we're following him and, and, and you're saved. There's no question, like you are in his family. But sometimes we don't realize that there's patterns of behavior that are following us from our family of origin. And, and what happens, I think, a lot is we import those ways of behaving, of relating into the family of God, and we don't recognize how these things are affecting us and how they need to change. I love how Pete Scazzaro puts it. He says, Jesus might live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. And, and, and it's funny, but it really gets at the heart of something, doesn't it? That you can be sold out following Jesus. There's no question of your salvation in, in what I'm talking about today. You're, it's done. But there's something where, like, I keep running into that same problem. You know what I'm talking about. And when we come to faith and we try and live out life in this new family without shedding the old family problems, we run into issues. We run into challenges where we think, wow, am I even following Jesus? And we, we doubt the work that God has done in us without recognizing there's an invitation to repent and believe in perhaps a way we've never considered before. But here's the good news of Jesus for us today. The good news is that Jesus, his gospel is, is so uh, expansive and covers so much. It doesn't just cover uh, individual things. Yeah, I did this in my life and I did this. But all of those things from our family of origin, all of these patterns of operating that are not operating out of the will of God, Jesus's uh, invitation is to bring you out of that old family and into his new family where you have a new way of operating, a new way of relating, new patterns for uh, conflict for all these things that we have. Jesus wants to bring us out of our family of origin, get grandpa out of your bones, so to speak, and, and release you into freedom to do family in a new way. So this is what we want to look at today in Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. So would you just follow along with me as we read this? It says this, then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, and they stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him, and he said, look, these are my mother." And my brothers, anyone who does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Jesus, as we consider how expansive your invitation is for us to be transformed and 
and walk in a new way and now walk in a new family. I ask that your, your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that we would not uh, listen to fear or we would not listen to anxiety or being overwhelmed, but we would listen, Jesus, to your invitation to us this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for your freedom. In your name we pray, amen. So let's give a little bit of background here to what's happening uh, in this passage. Uh, Mark, just a little bit before what I read, is telling how uh, Jesus' ministry is expanding, it's blowing up, he's in high demand, and uh, what's happening is his, um, his mother and his, his brothers, his family, are getting really concerned that this is getting out of hand. He's skipping meals sometimes at, at times when there's too many people around him. There's people constantly asking him for healing and being delivered from demons and all these things are happening. And, and his family's starting to go, this is very unfamiliar territory for us. We need to rein Jesus in a bit. And so it, it says that they thought he was going crazy. In Mark, and then so they're on their way to meet him, and they're headed that way. And so uh, there's a little interlude where Jesus is talking with some religious leaders, and then finally the family arrives, and they're outside this packed house. Jesus is teaching his disciples inside this house, and they're outside the house, and they say, "Let Jesus know his family's here. We need to talk. We need to sort this out. This is this is a little too far, Jesus. It's getting out of hand." And his family uh, was there to kind of set him straight. But what Jesus does is very, very unusual for the culture that he lived in. You see, they're in a culture where family is absolutely everything. Can you put that next slide up? I don't know why this isn't listening to me. Um, Jesus is in an ancient culture where uh, they operated out of what's called an honor-shame system. So uh, honor and shame are not opposites of each other. They're just two parts to how these family structures operate. So th this is not how we operate in the West at all. Uh, this is not how our culture tends to operate with families. It's very much based on performance, right? But how they did family was uh, if, if you wanted to uh, do well, you needed to honor those who had a lot of honor, so your parents, your family members had a lot of honor. So if Jesus wanted to curry more favor, more honor in this moment, he needed to, excuse me, guys, I need to go see my family. And, and there's, there's respect and there's honor given to someone who honors their family uh, in this way. And, and, and so Jesus does something basically that is against what he's obligated to do according to the culture. Jesus responded by actually not honoring his natural family in this moment. And, and now you're confused because you're saying, wait a minute, isn't he violating scripture? Honor your father and mother? Doesn't it say that? We're gonna, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, but, but what he's doing here is, is he is responding in a way where he, he is... Uh, instead of saying, yes, I need to go honor my natural family bloodline, what Jesus is doing is he's reframing what family is supposed to look like according to his father. And, and he says, hey, listen, I know you're trying to place a demand on me as a blood relative, but he says, I am here to reframe the way family works, and it works around those who do the will of my father. Are you all with me so far? Okay. So here, here's Jesus responding and talking about this in a new way. And this kind of like throws them for a loop because they're like, what do you, we're blood. I don't know who these people are. Like, get out of here right now. Do you ever have your mother call you and you're like, I'm busy, ma. Like, you gotta, you gotta wait a minute. And she's like, excuse me. And you're like, I gotta talk to my mom real quick. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you don't mess with that. If mom calls, you pick up the phone. You pick up the phone, and, and there's a sense in which Jesus is, is, he's not being rude to his parents, but he's saying, hey, I, I think you guys are confusing the priority here. And, and, and I am here to invite you into my kingdom, which is part of a different family. Now, I want you to notice something that's really important. Jesus' mother and brothers, as I said, they assumed they could place a demand on Jesus based on their, their 
family of origin connection, okay? Uh, that, and they assumed that it would take precedence over what he was doing in this moment. Now, notice their position in this whole story. They're not part of the group of people sitting at Jesus' feet. In fact, they were, at this moment, not really uh, in favor of Jesus' ministry. Did you know it's really not until after the resurrection that Jesus' family kind of comes around and says, okay, Jesus really was our Messiah. They thought he was crazy for most of the time. And, and, and it's really interesting because that flies in a little bit of a face of how what we think of Mary. Mary's included in this. Now, we don't know if she was specifically had doubts or just as kind of the head of the family. She was, she was there because that was her obligation. But, but he's saying to his own family, like, hey, I, I want to invite you to reorient the way you're thinking about uh, the primary family that, that matters to you. And so uh, his family, being very generally cautious and, and even critical of his ministry, is kind of on the outside looking in. And they're asking Jesus to reorient what he's doing away from the will of the Father and towards the will of how their family structure functions. Are you following me? So, so Jesus taught them and every disciple gathered in this moment that calling on the name of Jesus in this way uh, would not work when you're trying to do it out of your old family pattern. Okay? So Jesus wanted to invite them to live out of a new way. If you're going to really relate to me, you're going to have to think about doing things out of a new place, out of the will of my Father. And there's this, this quote from a, a study Bible. It says this, in first century Greco-Roman and Jewish society, if a person's family, it was a person's family that primarily determined identity and social standing. And Jesus' teaching radically modifies this custom by prioritizing participation in the kingdom of God. In other words, here's what he's saying. Your identity is not primarily in your family of origin. Your identity is in the new family of Jesus, his family of disciples, those who do the will of the Father. Now, this principle is, is for us as well. We often make the mistake of becoming a Christian, but then, and I made this mistake too, then I, I continue to just do many of the same things that I did prior that were influenced by the family I grew up in. Let me, let me give you some examples. Um, we often false identify with our family of origin when we say things uh, like, well, you know, I, we don't talk about that. That stays in the past. Could be a family conflict that was never resolved or an affair or, or some other kind of secret or, or just some kind of painful experience. No, we, we don't talk about those things. That, that's in the past where it belongs. Don't bring that up again. But it remains undealt with. That's, that's how our families of origin sometimes operate. Uh, another one, I've mentioned this or used this example before. Sometimes we make excuses when we're following Jesus. We make excuses for our temper based not out of the new family of Jesus, but based out of our family of origin. Well, that's just how us hot-blooded hot Irish Americans talk when we're upset. And we make excuses for what, how we're operating in that way when it has nothing to do with the will of the Father. Are you with me so far? Uh, and, and, and sometimes we do this one. This was a big one for me. We don't do feelings. No, I'm not going to talk about my emotions or deal. That's not how I was raised. It's not what I was taught. And what I was taught either implicitly or explicitly was every time you bring up your emotional world, someone's going to criticize you. They're going to say you're weak. You're a baby. For men, you get emasculated sometimes and say, well, are you a girl now? And, and, and things like these are said to us when we're, especially when we're young, and they become very formative, especially in our families, and they shape the way we believe we're supposed to behave in the world. And, and so what Jesus is saying is all of these things that you have marked as part of your identity and you've imported them now into your faith, that's all got to go because it's, it's not actually connected to my new family. He's saying that's connected to your old family of origin. And yet we often, and I've done this so many times, I have this, this attitude where I assume upon Jesus, just like Mary and Jesus' brothers, where I can just act this way and import that old family uh, behavior into the new family. 
And this is why Paul writes books like Ephesians, because you've got all of these people who are not coming from this nice kind of Western Judeo-Christian, kind of generally have a, a decent family values that are shared or, or whatever. Uh, he's, he's dealing with people from so many bizarre backgrounds in Ephesus, and they're coming together, and he writes the book of Ephesians, which is primarily talking about, hey, you are a new kind of human now. You are part of a new family. The old humanity, that old human, it doesn't exist anymore. You're this now. And that's why in other places he says, you're not Jew or Gentile. We could say you're not Irish American or Italian American or, or whatever your background is. Your identity is not in that origin and those sinful patterns of operating. Your identity is now your children of God. And, and so now we're invited to live out of a different way of relating to each other and operating. And we'll talk about what that means in a minute. One more uh, piece that's theologically important for us to consider. Um, there's this idea in Deuteronomy 5, 9 uh, about generational sin. And the, the Old Testament, God instructs uh, the Israelite people that if they want to live well and prosper in the land, he says, listen, if, if you obey me, you're going to be blessed for like a thousand generations. Your children's 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 children, it's going to go well for them. But if you sin, the effects and consequences of that sin will be felt for three to four generations. So this is where this gets really important. Now, this is sadly often misunderstood because it sounds like God's a jerk, right? It's like, my dad did something and now it's my problem? Like, God's like, yeah, you did this because his dad did this and his, her mom did this and their aunt did this, so I'm punishing them there. This word in Hebrew is really, really unfortunately misunderstood and it's describing natural consequences that God created in his well-ordered world and these natural consequences, when we sin, we're violating the way we're purposed to live. And those effects are carried out over three to four generations. This is what God's describing. It's really, uh, when we look at it that way, it's much more our problem than God's. So this is, the, uh, the opposite is true, as I mentioned, that if you walk in obedience to what God's inviting you into, there's blessing for thousands of generations. Think about it, take it out of kind of a spiritual context for a minute, just really natural consequence, uh, natural consequences in the simplest way. If you have a million dollars and you pass that on to your children, right, and, and they take that wealth and it becomes two million. And then they take that wealth to their children and they make it four million. And then they make it eight million. Your, your kind of right, wise financial decision agreed upon by each generation after has created this amazing wealth in your family. Are you following me? The same thing happens with your spiritual life. If you are making decisions that are in keeping with the will of God, in keeping with his family, that affects your children because they're experiencing that. And if they agree in and live in that, they pass that on to their children. And it just creates momentum from generation to generation. But the opposite is unfortunately true. The sins of the fathers and the mothers become the sins of the sons and the daughters. Unless... The sons and the daughters choose actively to step out of the family of origin and into the new family of Jesus. But it's more than just, well, I'm saved now, it's done. That's true. I believe that Jesus saves us from things that we never experience in our life just because we said yes to him. But I believe there are many things where he's inviting us into the transformative process. And a lot of it has to do with dealing with the dysfunction of our families of origin that we've inherited. Many people never realize the, the depth and the level of the sin and dysfunction that they are receiving and then perpetuating from generation to generation. I, I had a, a, a friend who, they were very concerned about their child and it's a very specific issue, and they were sharing with me. Not, not a Christian. Uh, so I was just listening, and, and they were just talking about it. They weren't really, really weren't asking for advice or anything, but they're just, this is what's going on, and, and, and this is happening, and this. 
and then they turned towards their, their, one of their parents, and they said, and they have the same issue, and I keep them away from my child because I don't want this thing to get perpetuated. And then, like, as an offhand thing, they're mentioning a couple things in their own life, and it's the exact same pattern, and they can't even see it happening in their own life. And, and so I'm just sitting here going, man, like, you need Jesus. Like, not for you, but for your, your parents and for your children and for their children. Like, they're literally perpetuating the same pain and the same pattern from generation to generation. And they don't even realize it's happening in their own life. It's really easy to see it in other people, right? It's a lot harder to see it in ourselves. But here's the good news. The good news, I was just dying. The, the moment wasn't appropriate, and I don't think they really would have received it that well in that moment. But that moment, man, I just wanted to be like, Jesus can bring you into a new family. You don't need to even be influenced by your family of origin, the way your parent functioned. Your child doesn't need to be influenced even by you and your old stuff. You can come into something totally new. The sins of the fathers and the mothers don't need to be the sins of the sons and the daughters. So when we're becoming a follower of Jesus and, and we're invited into this new family where we're doing the will of the Father, not the will of our old families, what do we do? When we're describing uh, becoming like Jesus and following Jesus, one of the things this requires is deep transformation, as we've talked about, from the inside out. The old ways of living, old ways of operating, of behaving, relating to friends friends and family, they're all being changed into this new way that looks like Jesus. I love Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is a life verse for me. It says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. We could say, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of your family of origin, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So if we are going to do the will of God, which is what Jesus says his new family does, his brothers and sisters and mothers, we need to be transformed so we know what the will of God is. Something has to change. It doesn't just happen. We talked a few weeks ago, Dallas Willard, right? He said, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And that's really important for us to remember when it comes to the hard work of reflecting back on our family of origin. Because a lot of times it feels like, well, are, am I just saved by faith? Like, isn't it just grace? Doesn't this just happen? Yeah, you can't earn your salvation. But there is work that Jesus is inviting you into to change. Not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. So here's what we need to consider. If we are going to move past the bondage of, of the things of our families that have plagued us from generation to generation. We have to ask two questions. One, how has our family of origin helped form us to become like Jesus? I have some stories of my family that have helped me become like Jesus. You might have some of those too. But also, we all have to ask, including, and, and just so you know, like, my dad was a pastor. I've, said, I've shared that many times. I grew up in a Christian home. I have things in my family of origin that deformed me away from becoming like Jesus, that I have to figure out how to relate in a new way to people. So we have to ask those good questions. Uh, is there anything in my family of origin that's helping form me to become like Jesus? Is there anything that's deforming me away from becoming like Jesus? And I, I want to share with you just a really practical tool um, that will help you begin to prayerfully reflect on this. And, and you might have things coming up right now. You might know what the things are. Like, well, I've got an anger problem. My dad had an anger problem. His dad had an anger problem. I have a drinking problem. My mom had a drinking problem. And her dad had a drinking problem. Like, there, there are very clear, obvious patterns sometimes. But sometimes I, I use this tool uh, because it, it helps me see the picture. And I, I realize, oh, there is a pattern here that I didn't realize. 
There's a pattern I didn't realize here that needs to be dealt with. So I want to share a tool with you. It's called a, I'll put it up in just a moment. It's called a genogram. Anyone familiar with a genogram at all? A couple of you are. Um, this comes out of something called family systems theory, and, and it's a really, it's clinical, it's, it's very well researched, uh, and it, it's very, very helpful, but it helps you map your family patterns uh, of behaving and relating to each other, so you can begin to see, oh, I think I have some of that in my life. Oh, and here's where I do it with my spouse, here's where I do it at work, here's where I do it with my friends, here's where I do it with my kids. I think Jesus might be inviting me to operate in a different way now. And because we have that background of understanding where it comes from, we can really dig deep at, at dealing with the, the core issue of it. I was first introduced to this by my wife uh, probably about 10 years ago when she was in graduate school for, for counseling. And it was really interesting because I, I was just kind of listening as she was doing her first genogram of her own family and just mapping some things out. And, and she learned a ton about her family that she didn't know before. And for her family, it wasn't like they were keeping secrets. It's just like, when's the age where you just like, okay, sit down. We're going to talk about everything that happened in the family. Just one of those things that like her mom was very happy to share. It was just sort of like, oh yeah, like maybe you should like know about this, like because you're asking now. Um, another thing that was really a gift from this is my wife had a newfound empathy for her parents. Uh, and, and she was able to say, wow, I didn't realize what they went through. And now I can see why they acted and behaved in this way. So it, even as you're getting some clarity for yourself, it helps you get clarity and empathy for the generations that have gone before you. And then finally, she recognized some patterns of learned behavior that she just assumed were normal. Doesn't every family do this? And, and, and she realized uh, that there were patterns of behaving that she really wanted to change and do differently in, in her marriage, in her friendships, in her role as a mother with our daughters uh, once, once we had children. And, and so one thing I want to say as, we, as I show you a genogram and we get into this, I want to be very clear. This is not parent bashing. I hope you hear that already, especially if you come from a Christian household in particular. The, the pushback I always get is like, well, I had a good Christian upbringing, or my parents were nice, or whatever. And, and, and listen, if your parents followed Jesus and loved Jesus and wanted to set you up to follow Jesus, the way you can honor them the most is to recognize things maybe they missed in their generation and to grow and mature in a new way. Is that fair? So, so I want to invite you into this. And if you didn't grow up in a Christian household, this is still not parent bashing. This is an opportunity for you to now take responsibility for what you're living with. Doesn't matter in, in one sense, like what happened then, but it's saying, yeah, I see this in generation after generation. I'm going to break the cycle in Jesus' name. I don't need to walk in this anymore. My children don't need to walk in this. My spouse doesn't need to walk in this. We can do differently. So I just want to show you just a really, really simplified version of my family's genogram. Um, I went back three generations for me, so four generations all together. And I just want to use this as an example um, so you can begin to understand how you can take this into a time of prayer, a time of journaling, to just begin to kind of reflect on things you might already know about your family and piece it together. Maybe there's someone in your family that's willing to share things. If you've got a lot of family secrets and that's like one of the family unspoken rules, then it might be hard. So you just kind of do however Jesus guides you and invites you in, in doing this. So here's what we do. There's me at the bottom. Um, and you usually do it male, female. So the males are squares. And the females or circles is generally how the genogram works. And this is very, very simplified. And I just kind of put a couple letters on the side to give a couple examples. But my actual one, it's like, it looks like a serial killer did it. It's crazy. It's kind of like there's all these different lines that mean all these. There's coded stuff for it. If you can get really deep dive into this, there's, there's uh, things you can learn on how to do these really extensively. Um, uh, but this is just to give you a very basic idea. When I started doing this for the first time, first, I want to say this. Jesus is not nervous about your family history. He is still sitting on his throne. He already knows the family history. And he's just ready for you to realize, oh, catch up to Jesus here. I need to turn from this that I've been complicit in and walk in a new way. Okay? So just real quick, you see me 
my parents uh, and, and uh, my grandparents on either side and then some great-grandparents. Now, if you notice my, the left-hand side, uh, I don't really know a lot about my great-grandparents on that side. Why? Because there's a lot of secrets on that side of the family. So going past my grandparents is really hard. Even when he was dying, my grandfather, the last of all my grandparents, wouldn't talk about stuff that happened. My dad tried. My aunts and uncles tried. They just wanted to know. They weren't even trying to pry for this kind of thing. They just like, we don't know anything, and wouldn't, wouldn't talk. Wouldn't talk about it. And, and he carried a lot of, my grandfather carried a lot of shame and embarrassment about his own family. And, and that came out sometimes in, in some different ways. Uh, so just a couple, just to keep myself on track here, because I can go on rabbit trails with this. Uh, but I want this to be helpful to you. So I learned a couple different things, and I'm just going to highlight a couple things. There were a lot of different patterns. I learned that there's a propensity to keep secrets in my family, and that's because of feeling ashamed. Now, this is especially uh, two different ways. We had some mental health issues on my dad's side of the family uh, to the point where my grandmother uh, was institutionalized. And, uh, and I just found that out, and uh, it was not a happy moment when people found out that I was told that. Uh, because secrets. But I want to be free of secrets. And, and so it doesn't mean I need to know everything, but it helped me empathize with my dad an incredible amount. And, and I learned how much shame and embarrassment there was around things like that. On my mom's side of the family, back to my great-grandparents all the way on the far right there, um, there, there was uh, a lot of sexual abuse and, and systemic abuse uh, that was uh, on my, my grandmother. And it's, uh, that's about as far as I'll get into it in this setting. Um, but the point of me bringing that up is, is there was some pretty, pretty serious, uh, both emotional issues related to that, uh, a lot of shame issues related to that, uh, to the point where there was more secrets on that side of the family. Uh, it, it created an incredible amount of uh, secretiveness on that side of the family as well. And then one of the things that we, we noticed from both sides of the family where there was some kind of abuse going back to the fourth generation, it came out in a different way in my grandparents' generation. So it didn't look exactly the same on my parents, but they would be incredibly angry and, and they would lash out at each other. You see those dotted lines between all the marriages where there was a lot of tense uh, moments in conflict between uh, my parents, between my, my sets of grandparents, and different things like that. And, and, and what I realized is in my family history is there's a tendency when there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of embarrassment and there's patterns like this, the abuse patterns just turned into a lot of anger towards each other, uh, lashing out a lot of uh, nasty stuff like that. Um, and, and then the other major pattern, and, and this one has been particularly helpful in the last few years, is I realized, you see the P's on all of the men there, uh, this is just a marker that means passivity. A lot of the men in my family are incredibly passive. What does that mean? Uh, some of this is because of the shame and, and, and the embarrassment and things like that, but, but what has happened is uh, they would tend to back away from any kind of family responsibility, family obligation, and they would underfunction in the household and they would overfunction in their workplace. So uh, a lot of workaholism, uh, working far too many hours. And you kind of go like, well, that's just what they did in that generation. That's absolutely true. Everyone did that. Everyone thought it was okay. It doesn't mean it was the will of the Father. And, and, and so uh, sometimes uh, there, there would be this underfunctioning in the home and a lot of passivity, which meant uh, there was overfunctioning on the part of the wife, of the spouse. And, and when they would overfunction, uh, this would lead to a lot of feeling overwhelmed. Like the, the wife in, in each of these marriages like had to run the whole thing themselves, take care of the kids, clean the house, do all the things, because he was at work all the time and wasn't doing anything. And, and so there was this really uh, tough uh, conflict that would develop. And typically what would happen with the wives in the family is because they, were, they felt so overwhelmed, they would resort to control and manipulation, especially towards their children. And, and so what we've seen, in, in, as Jillian and I, as now we're raising kids, is we're trying to break some of these family cycles. And I realize my tendency is to underfunction at home 
and overfunction in the workplace. So I need to do one more thing before I come home, or I have to do this other thing, or there's this thing that came up. And I have, I've had to, and Jillian and I have had to agree on putting some really strict boundaries in place to make sure I don't uh, overfunction in the workplace and underfunction at home. And she also has had to put uh, respond, uh, like boundaries and, and stuff in place to make sure she doesn't overfunction. Because then her, her thing will be like, well, this has to get done, so I'm going to just take care of it. How many of you have ever said that? Instead of going, this is just going to hit the floor, and when you realize it, you can pick it up, because that's your problem, not mine. And that's healthy, because when she does that, it's a reminder, like, whoops, I almost overfunctioned, underfunctioned at home again. And, and so I've had to be really tenacious about recognizing this in my own life. Now, you, now you hear some of these things I've mentioned. Do, do, do the secretiveness that I've mentioned, the lashing out in anger, these patterns from growing up, the, the underfunctioning, overfunctioning, does that sound like the will of the Father to you? No, it's not a trick question. Yeah, it's, it's not the will of the Father, right? So how might I, or how might you, if this was your genogram, how might you prayerfully just consider, Jesus, what are you inviting me into here? I've seen this pattern. Sometimes it can be overwhelming when you look at it at first. But, but what Jesus wants to do is he wants to help you figure out what's going on. So what you can do is two things. You can say, I, and, and this is something that is really powerful to do, is you can declare, I'm not part of that family of origin anymore. I am part of a new family in Jesus, and I will not participate in passivity anymore. And I name the sin, and I renounce it and say, I repent of, of what I have participated in with this, and I'll be really specific if I have specific instances in mind. And I'm not going to participate in, in that anymore. Now, when's the last time you, you repented of something like that? It, it's, it's, it feels kind of like, I didn't even consider that. But when you begin to look at, oh man, there's like momentum going in the other direction. I need to really come to Jesus with this. You can get free. So just in order to do this, I'll just really quickly, how can you do your own? Take some time to pray and just ask Jesus. Be still with him. Jesus, what do you want to reveal to me as I, as I start thinking about my family patterns and where I'm at? Remember, this isn't family bashing. This is responding to Jesus' invitation to become more like a member of his family. And then on a piece of paper, iPad, journal, whatever's good, just use the, the squares for the men. Use the circles for the women. And, and you just begin to construct, construct a really simple family tree and just mark some of the patterns you see. Ask yourself questions like, okay, parents, this is very simple. For parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, are they alive? Are they dead? Was there serious illness? Are they married? Divorced? What was their relationship like? Are they enmeshed, like codependent, like one always does whatever the other says is best? Is, how do they handle conflict? How do they fight? Was there affection in the home? How were feelings used or not used in the home? Key phrases or stories that you remember that kind of always come up when you think about things. Were there family secrets, affairs, drugs, alcohol use? How was money handled? Were there unspoken rules? All those different things. And, and you might find a theme or two begin to emerge in, in your family tree, in your family history some more. And, and then when you figure out what that is, one or two things, you've got a couple of invitations at that point. One would be, how is Jesus inviting you to repent of that? Remember, repent is turn, believe is act in a new way. So you're going to be invited to do two things. You need to repent and you need to believe. You're going to need to get with people in your life group, uh, people in your Christian community. Uh, you may, depending on uh, what you're talking about or dealing with, you might want to consider uh, finding a Christian therapist uh, that can help you process some of this. And, and you want to begin to just say, what is the thing that I need to turn away from? And how can I act differently and live differently in that? So for us, one of the ways that I recognized passivity was, okay, I need to not overfunction at work. And I need to have uh, really a, a concerted effort to care more about what's happening in my household. The girls' day-to-day -day plans, like what, what our, our kids are up to, what Harper needs for preschool. And don't just like, oh, Jillian's going to take care of that. Have some kind of conversation. So to, to act on that, Jillian and I have conversations about what boundaries are. What is she going to take care of? 
practically she is home more, so maybe there are some things that make more sense for her to do. What am I taking care of? What are we agreeing we're responsible for? We're both making that agreement. We can always revisit it at a later time. All these different things. And, and, and so there might be an opportunity to act in that way. I need to walk in a new way. If I have a temper issue, maybe I need to see a therapist to help get at, uh, at the uh, issues there. Maybe I need to learn how to be slower to speak, all of these different things. But when we begin to reflect on how our families have deformed us away from Jesus, then we can begin to see very clearly how Jesus is inviting us out of these old patterns and into new ones. I'll tell you one quick story um, that I have permission to share. Uh, I, I was working with, this is where we want to head, uh, the new family. And, and, and I, was, I was talking with uh, someone on our team, and uh, he was sharing with me, he, he's got an ongoing kind of issue with, with his dad. And um, he, he was really hurt by something that happened uh, with him and his wife, and, and he was really like, he was ready to go. He was gonna go at his dad. He was gonna call him. His dad's like an ex-cop. Like, he knows how he's gotta talk to his dad. And he's like, he's ready to just give it to him. He's like, you need, like, you, you did this and you did that and you gotta stop being a jerk and all these different things. You were inconsiderate. And so he's coming to me, talking to me about it. Like, here's what I'm gonna do. And I asked him, do you wanna do the same thing you've always done the way your family's been doing it? Because we've been talking about his family patterns and stuff. Do you wanna do it the same way or do you wanna break the cycle? And he stops and he goes, I wanna break the cycle. I don't wanna do it the same way. But you, you understand you have that default, like, well, here's how I'm gonna address this. We, we're not born taught like, hey, don't do it the way your family's doing it. There's a different way you can do this that's a little healthier. We've, we've got to figure out these things and learn these things. And, and so we talked about how instead of just going off at his dad, why don't you say, hey, when you did this, here's how I felt. And, and I felt really hurt. And, and here in the future, when we're in this situation, here's what I would like to see happen. Would you agree to that? And he's like, I can't do that. That's too vulnerable. We don't do that in my family. And I'm like, you're not part of that family anymore. You're part of the family of Jesus. And for each of us, listen, hear me. This doesn't mean, whoop, I'm part of a new family. I'm never gonna talk to them again. It means that you relate to them from a different family. That origin family is not the family you're gonna identify with and behave out of a relationship with. You are doing it out of the family of Jesus. So you're not doing this anymore, if I can go back, you're doing this. Your bloodline is not in your family of origin anymore. It's in the family of Jesus. This is what his blood has done for you. And you know what happened? He had this conversation and his dad was stunned because he'd never heard this from his son before. And, and he told me, he told me after, he's like, it totally has changed our relationship. There's still a lot of work to do, but it's totally changed it. And he's like, I feel respected by my dad for the first time in my life. How many of you want that? How many of you have those relationships or those, those things in your life where you're like, it's, this is just how it is. And you're just hitting your head against the wall, doing it the same way every time. How many of you want to do something different? How many of you want to break the patterns, the cycles, the same sins, the same mistakes, the same conflicts over and over again? How many of you want to break the cycle? We got to stop acting like Jesus's mother and brothers, trying to impose the old way of things on Jesus. And we have to start doing things as his disciples, as he looked around and said, these are my mother and my brother and my sisters. It's time to break the old patterns and live in the freedom of the gospel. Would you stand with me? Here's what I wanna do. Uh, I want you to, I wanna encourage you. If you, if you're like, oh, there's something right now, like I've gotta repent of this, I've gotta change my way, that's great. I, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to leave today without writing that down and, and sharing that with someone. You're like, <gasps> we don't get to do this on our own. We're in a new family and we need to do this together. And the, the thing, well, what are they gonna think of me? That's coming from your old family. 
I have to perform, I have to look good, there's, there's pride involved here, there's no pride involved here, trust me. That ship sailed long ago. Jesus is inviting you to do something new and different and it will require you to act differently. So if you're like, well, I don't do vulnerability, today's your day. If you're like, well, well I, don't, I don't do my feelings, today's your day. I, I don't, I, I just, can I just truck along? You can, but you're gonna miss the depth and the fullness of what Jesus wants to bring into your life. I don't want you to miss that and neither does he. So if you have your communion elements, we're gonna take communion together. Does anyone need communion? If you don't, if you need it, put your hand up high. Someone will come bring that to you. We got someone in the front here, Bob. Anyone else need communion? A couple of people in the front here. Anyone else? Everyone good? Here's, here's what we're going to do. Is I want to take this today to, as a declaration. It's kind of cool because when, when the church would take communion, you know, they would do it gathered around a table. This huge feast, everyone coming together, different socioeconomic groups coming together, slaves, free people rich, poor, Jews, Gentiles. It, it was, the, Rome was very worried about this because this was upsetting the proper order of things because they just looked at each other as brothers and sisters. And, and at the center of that meal, that family meal, was the bread and the cup. And they would take it as a family, remembering that they have been brought out of the old into the new as they worked together to be more like Jesus. So we remember that on that night on the cross before his crucifixion, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. It's been broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup he said, this cup is the blood of a new covenant. It's a new covenant with a new family. Drinking this is remembering that you are free of the old patterns, the old bloodlines, the old way things were done. And you are fully in the new bloodline of Jesus. Take in remembrance of that. We worship together. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.